Hello everyone, Callie Hannah here with a quick disclaimer from the future, 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 future. <laughs> the episode you are about to hear was recorded prior to my public coming out as a transgender woman. As such, you will hear myself and others refer to me by my dead name and he, him pronouns, and that is not how I want to be referred to now. I, well, I go by Callie and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, the rest of the episode has been left as is for the purposes of historical preservation, but uh, just know that it is not accurate to my current uh, gender identity. Thank you, and enjoy the show. The hipster and the nerd. Yes, hipster and the nerd. The nerd. One went to the genius. The other is quite absurd. Exactly which is which. Off the fence is which. Yes, good sir. The hipster and the nerd. 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 Hipster and the nerd. Created by Steven Spielberg? No. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hipster and the Nerd, the podcast where we discuss movies, TV shows, comic books, video games, and all manner of geek and pop culture to see what we can make of it. I am Chris Hanna. With me, of course, is my co-host, Brian Brecker. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing pretty good, and this is, of course, a belated episode due to me being sick for about a week. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> I had flu-like symptoms, but I probably didn't have COVID, which is bizarre because I keep getting sick with not COVID all the time during a quarantine when I'm inside 95% of the time, which doesn't seem to make any sense. what's especially weird about is that, like, late December, early January, I did have COVID, and my symptoms were not nearly this bad. <laughs> Yeah, I was running like a 101, 100 fever, and I like, like couldn't I, sleep and stuff like that. Like I, like I had that, like I had a fever that high for like a couple of days, but mm -hmm. it subsided relatively quickly. You know, it may have been adjusting to the heat in hell because, of course, this is a rocket ship roulette <laughs> episode. And if you don't know about yes, the vast is. and expansive lore, I was abducted into space and then went through some wormholes, ended up in hell, where I then found out that the aliens that abducted me are actually demons. Now, I was actually. Uh, given a handbook on hell, it is about an infinite infinity pages long. It's okay. Don't ask how I can hold an infin infinity book. It's because it's on a Kindle. Okay. It's so I just swipe. <laughs> yeah. And in the hell handbook, I actually learned a lot about the lore. So the oh, aliens aren't actually demons. Um, they find that very pejorative. They are actually interdimensional beings. And they oh. exist in a separate dimension than our regular world and our regular universe and on a plane of existence that is unfathomable. And they actually invented souls and put them in our bodies and thus also what? <laughs> drive the entirety of our lives and check up on our karma to see if we'll be put into what is the interdimensional place of hell or the interdimensional place of heaven and anyways today we're going to be talking about two movies <laughs> which are going to be attack of the killer tomatoes and invasion of the body snatchers because i have a television down here in hell with a little extension cord and they have a vast selection of movies and they still say that they are trying to do some sort of strange experiment on my co-host chris so chris what movie do you want to talk about first 
I'm sorry, I'm still very hung up on the aliens invented souls thing. Um, one of us should probably be writing all this down so we can actually keep track of it. I have um, it all in my head, Chris, and in my infinite Kindle. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this later. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's actually talk about these movies. I think we should start with uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1978 version specifically. Not to be yes. confused with the original 1956 yes. film. Um, now, um, uh, I'm a huge Body Snatchers fan. Uh, I watched the original version of the Body Snatchers and I absolutely loved it. The 1956 one is really kind of a screed on McCarthyism and paranoia about communist invasion and stuff like that. And the 70s one is a lot less specifically political but it does, I think, have a lot of allegorical meaning. There's certainly a lot of things in this movie that are institutions not believing women. And we have a kind of dual protagonist thing going on where we have both yeah. a female and male lead. So the dynamics between men and women come up quite a, a bit in this film. And I think that yeah, there might it, be... a lot of it. <laughs> I feel like a lot of it is about sort of um, victimhood and abuse. And it, it was actually uh, similar things we were talking about when we did child's play yes. the idea of the fear of not being believed um uh, that i feel like that comes up a lot and as for my history with this with body snatchers it's a concept i dig i haven't actually this was my first time watching this i've seen bits and pieces of the original but never all the way through i keep meaning to because you know i hear it's a classic you're next um, you're next you're next <laughs> yes uh and and they bring that up in this but we'll we'll, we'll get to that yes. um Anyways, so it starts, the opening is very eerie. It's got this really good score with on this, like, because it opens on this, like, alien planet. Yeah. Because right off the bat, I guess because they know this is a remake and they know everyone knows this title, they are not at all subtle about the idea of, yeah, this is aliens. We're yes. not even going to try and hide They're this alien pods that come down and they have this really great, gross-looking, I think it's reverse photography, where it is this um creature on the plant and it starts like spreading its tendrils it's a lot of really creepy shit in this movie i think the idea getting down to the concept of body snatchers because the whole franchise is built around the concept that yeah. alien pod beings come in and they basically cause and everyone to replace human beings and... yeah 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 and this leads to an apocalyptic scenario that ends with the extinction of humanity in most cases what's really interesting to me about this scenario is how much it gets like it's like a deep psychological fear i think in fact there's actually a term for this kind of delusion in abnormal psychology it's called capgrass delusion and that is when people oh. that often are suffering from mental illness believe that their loved ones have been replaced by an exact copy and oh. yeah so this is like gets into fears that are also somewhere deep in like the the instinctual brain i think um stephen king once said that terror is coming home to find everything in your house has been replaced with an exact replica and, yeah and or like and it's that or exact, like you know or uh, or like your office is exactly the same except that your desk has been moved like three inches to the left yes and you're like the only one who notices but it freaks you out but like, that's more like the office though true but still <laughs> and, and S same principle and uh -huh. the body snatchers films 
all kind of get to that terror, and that's why I love them so much. So anyway, all two of them. <laughs> well, actually, there's four. Oh, there's four. There's four. Uh, there was another one made in the 1990s, and then there was one made in the 2000s, which was supposed to be about militarization and the Iraq oh, War. Oh, because I because I only was able to find these two, and mm -hmm. I was wondering, oh, it might be kind of a interesting thing if this was just something they remade every 20 years or so. So like, which is kind of how it was actually. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and they updated yeah. every time, so. We get introduced yeah. to two characters, one of whom is played by Donald Sutherland, who you may know from a host of 70s political thrillers like Eye of the Needle, with his doofy 70s stash, and he plays a civil yes. servant uh, for the health department who gets to go to different restaurants, and he finds a, a rat turd in one of them, and he goes, and, and yeah, the, French the, guy, the French guy's like, it's a gipper. It's like, it's a it's rat a gipper. turd. It's a gipper. Gipper. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> And then it's so our good. second protagonist is Elizabeth Driscoll, who is a, another civil servant, a laboratory scientist. She is a laboratory scientist at the San Francisco Health Department, who brings one of the flowers, the strange flowers that she finds, home, which is, of course, an alien pod, to where she lives with her boyfriend, Jeffrey. Now, leaving the flower on her bedside table, she awakens the next morning to discover Jeffrey is behaving strangely and cold and distant and you know obviously he has been absorbed and duplicated by the the pod during the middle of the night and yeah and reports this... of this keep coming up yeah all across the town because like yeah because like there's the the asian man who like shows up he's like my my wife is acting strangely that's not my wife i don't know what's happening so and, and i think there's also this kind of this under theme of just general deviance like, people that act differently, or also maybe the fact that, you know, um, a lot of the things that happen in this film are loved ones, specifically, acting in ways that you do not expect them to act. And specifically, one of the pod people in the film is a psychiatrist. So I'm kind of curious as to whether or not there was some intentional theme about psychiatry maybe, you know, being a system of control in kind of a... Foucaultian kind of way, you know, Michel Foucault, who wrote a bunch of books and was, you know, a depressed gay dude. You, you know who Foucault is. <laughs> okay. um, but I'm just overanalyzing this because I so, love it. So, some, some people might know who Foucault is. Um, yes. yeah. uh, so Elizabeth's colleague, Matthew Bennell, advises her to visit the psychiatrist friend David Kibner, who is, of course, played by Leonard Nimoy, who plays Spock in Star Trek The Original Leonard, Series. Yes. And this is obvious and perfect casting because he, in this film, yeah. acts as the logical one that does not believe their crazy stories about pod people and ends up being... Which is, of course, you know, Spock. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's just Spock. And ends yeah. up being a pod person himself. Spoiler. Um, yeah. I'd so... also like to point out that this is a movie that features both Leonard Nimoy and Jeff Goldblum. Awesome. Mwah. And Donald Sutherland. <laughs> and Donald Sutherland. <laughs> so, as Elizabeth and Matthew drive to the bookstore to try and meet uh, David Kibner, a historical man warns them of the danger and shouts, they're coming, you're next, which is, of course, the ending of the 1950s film, when he ends yeah. up going to the authorities and screaming, they're coming, they're here already, mm. you're they're next. already here, you're, you're next. next, you're which is next. one of the most iconic endings to any 50s b horror film uh love yeah. it and i love that they put it into this one 
kind of makes you wonder if they're trying to do a continuity thing, but then you realize yeah, that I wonder it took if 20 it's minutes. Like... Then you realize it took 20 years. So, no. Probably not. Well, or maybe there's like a world reset? No. The... Don't, don't, mm. don't think about that too hard. <laughs> so, before being chased away by a mob of people and then hit by a car, this crazy guy was. Now, the mob watches yeah. death without any emotion, and at the bookstore, Elizabeth asks Dr. Kibner for help regarding Jeffrey. Because, you know, he's not showing any emotion. But he theorizes that Elizabeth yeah. is simply using the belief that Jeffrey is behaving differently as an excuse to end their relationship. Which is some definite uh, Freudian bullshit, in my opinion. Yeah, that's some, that's some real, yeah, there's a, there's a few uh, bullshit uh, philosophies. And, like, there's this thing about, like, music stimulating plants, which I'm fairly certain is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, Right, cause... Or or if it is, it's or if it is, it's not actually like the Mozart thing. Yeah, and this apparently is... there was like a, a from if I remember correctly, there was like a study, and it turns out that plants they do respond to music, but it's not Mozart. It's like heavy metal. Oh. that like makes I don't them know. Grow. I can either Appar confirm nor deny that. So I remember reading that somewhere. Maybe it was Mythbusters. I don't know. At, um... at the bookstore. Yeah. They end up meeting Jeff store. Goldblum's character, Jack, who I absolutely love this character in this movie because he is yes. a narcissistic poet um, that is so <laughs> in his own head. He basically, once everything starts happening, he barely registers that the, the gravity of everything that's happening. And to him, of course, being kind of a narcissist, people are just as disposable and the same to him as the pod people already are, so he's less shocked by this. Yeah, like, he doesn't even care about the apocalypse. Like, yeah, fuck him, whatever. <laughs> and he, he this whole time, is is just talking Donald Sutherland's ear off, and he, Donald Sutherland's obviously not listening. And there's this great scene, a great shot, where he is reflected in this funhouse mirror. And that really goes to show you it's, it's symbolic of the fact that he's disconnected from reality. You know. Ah, yes, yeah. yes. So, uh, despite other people complaining of similar scenarios, she takes his advice and kind of is like, oh, okay, maybe, yeah, maybe that's true. And she meets Matthew's friend, Jack Belichick, who calls Matthew to investigate when a grotesque body covered in this weird, gross fibers is found in the mud, in the mud house. Yeah. Now, one of the people in the mud bath is reading a very interesting book, and that book was actually a pseudo-scientific, cataclysmic, pseudo-historical novel book thing <laughs> from the 60s. And that just sort of sets the tone for the entire film. The, the character, I forget what his that name is. That just raises further questions. <laughs> and it, it just plays into the whole apocalyptic tone of the film. And I think it also needs to be said that this movie came out only four years after Nixon got impeached for the Watergate scandal. You know? Oh. So this undercurrent of political and social upheaval and paranoia really runs through this movie in a way that is less obvious than in the 50s film, but I think is still really there. Um, and this guy ends up talking about this book, and he's like, did you read this book? It's a really good book. You should read it. And this other woman, who is, of course, the girlfriend of Jack's character, ends up saying, well, I read this science fiction novel, and that one's good, and not understanding that the book that he was referring to is about the end of the fucking world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> they find that this really gross, awesome practical effect of, like, this body that is trying to replicate Jack, who has a nosebleed. Um, what do you think oh, of the special yeah. effects in this movie? Because I, I love it. 
I think it's they're great. they're so good. Like yeah. it's there's a lot of great design work, and you know it's all practical, so it it, it feels very tangible and real. And then there's just the a, a tall fetus. Yes, that, that that's a thing in this movie. <laughs> it's absolutely under your skin, disgusting. Um, yes. <laughs> unlike the first film, actually, where basically there wasn't much grossness factor it was more just people being absorbed by a pod this is definitely yeah. a body horror body snatchers movie um yes so they end up calling uh donald sutherland's character over and you know his friend you know elizabeth and they are they look at the body and they're like what the fuck this has no fingerprints at all like a fetus yeah. Jesus the Christ. Tall fetus. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, they call the police, and when the police finally get there, the duplicate body has disappeared, and, which is horrifying. And the following night, Matthew and his friends are nearly duplicated as they sleep. Matthew, of course, being the Donald Sutherland character, uh, by four pods in Matthew's garden. And the aliens gestate inside the pods, which grow to around three feet in length before breaking open and spawning a human du duplicate that grows rapidly. The pods duplicate any human person when they're sleeping in the immediate vicinity, basically. Um, they also copy memories, and I find this to be a very interesting idea. That not only are emotions and memories and stuff like that copied, even though they're completely emotionless beings. So this is like, imagine a robotic clone of yourself that has no ability to think or feel independently but still has all your memories. That's really terrifying to me. You know? Yeah. In, like, in, in an existential kind of way. Um, yeah. So once the duplication is complete, the original human dies and disintegrates and the alien pod person takes their place. This is the whole concept of the pod person and invasion of the body snatchers thing. So Matthew calls the police, but realizes that the department has been infiltrated. And this is one of the great scenes, because it's a montage of him calling all these different departments, and then being like, we've heard into this, or we're looking into it, or we don't know if that's really accurate. We don't want to cause a panic. And they keep saying the phrase, we don't want to cause a panic. We don't want to cause a panic. And it's, basi it's, it's basically one giant metaphor for political middlemen. Yes. Which yeah. the main character himself is a political middleman, but he is, in a lot of ways, kind of like the film Three Days of the Condor, stuck in this politically nightmarish state of where both the government and the people that want to kill him are untrustworthy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, what do you think of uh, Donald Sutherland's character in this movie, Chris? He's very good. I like all the characters in this movie, but yeah, he's a he's a good lead. I think he works. Yeah, he, I think he's great. Elizabeth is also yeah. good, and they have this kind of romance throughout the movie, which is kind of weird considering it's a boss subordinate position. But then again, yeah, that's a little iffy. Um... But then again, that romance only really starts until after their jobs are practically non-existent. Yeah, because the pod people take over the world. <laughs> yeah, and this is also happens after Elizabeth's boyfriend she realizes, yes, he has been assimilated into the pod people. Um, so, Matthew destroys his own semi-formed duplicate before escaping with the others, pursued by the aliens who emit a shill scream whenever they discover a human being among them that isn't assimilated. And the scream is one of the most iconic parts of the 1970s one. And yeah. it really gets under my skin. And 
guy. It's creepy. It's fucking yeah. creepy. Um, and Jack's friend, Jack's girlfriend, uh, I forget her name, but she ends up surviving until the end of the movie. And she is very kind of dopey and friendly and innocent. And I like her a lot, too. She's an underrated character. Yeah, she's very good. Mm-hmm. I like her. So, they're pursued by the aliens, and cornered at a dead-end road, Jack and Nancy uh, break away to try and create a distraction, uh, allowing Matthew and Elizabeth to hide and eventually escape back into the city. And we really... Hey, Pods, come and get me, you scums! <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is fantastic in this movie. He's so good. <laughs> uh, I, love, I love the part where he's t- talking shit about Leonard Nimoy's character, and he's like, he gets to have all these words, but I have to pick every word, one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one at a time. <laughs> Uh, How long does it take you to write a book? <laughs> and it's about this point where we realize that Kibner is actually a pod person that sold them out. So Matthew and Elizabeth are basically, they try and find a way to escape, and they end up taking speed, which is amphetamines, to try and stay awake, because they know if they fall asleep, they'll be assimilated. Uh, and... Tracked through the phone lines, they are captured by Jack and Kibner, who have been dip- duplicated. Now, Matthew and Elizabeth are both injected with sedatives, and this is where we get to the other iconic line where there will be no need for hatred or love or anything. You know, and that you will be reborn into a perfect world, which is terrifying and Yeah, it's the sort of creepiest forced, ut- forced utopia. Yeah. Yeah. In the 50s one, that worked in two ways. Um... It was either, one, a commentary on McCarthyism and them trying to root out individuality and anyone that had any assemblage of left-wing, you know, opinions. Or it could be seen as a fear of communist takeover. Uh, The idea that they would try... Yeah, because I've seen it read both ways. Yeah, that they would try and, you know, infiltrate the government and create a world where we don't need individuality and then they'll all be a collective. So... The 50s Vice Snatcher is very interesting in that it is kind of a bipartisan <laughs> political <Yeah>. satire. <laughs> because it's kind it's generic key, enough, yeah. you can read it both ways. It's a, it's a both sides kind of thing. <laughs> Damn both sidesism. <laughs> so Matthew and Elizabeth are both injected with sedatives, yada yada yada. And yeah. they are able to survive through their previous dose of speed to escape and kill Jack's duplicate. And they end up locking Leonard Nimoy in a refrigerator. <laughs> yes, they do. That does happen. And that's just hilarious. So Matthew and Elizabeth reunite with Nancy, who has learned to evade the aliens by hiding her emotions and blending in with them. Because they can't yes. tell if someone's duplicated or not unless they give off emotional signals. So Yeah, t- unless they show emotion. The yeah. two follow her example, but their cover is blown when Elizabeth screams at the sign of a mutant dog with a human head. And this goes back to the homeless man that was introduced earlier in the oh, film. Is that, oh, is that a dog? Yeah, that was a dog. I thought it was a pig. I thought it was a human-faced pig. <laughs> so you remember the homeless person with the banjo in the beginning of the film, and in the middle, he's reintroduced again? He is a pet dog. Yeah, yeah. So... Oh, yeah, okay. When okay. Donald Sutherland's character was running away and saw him sleeping, he accidentally kicked the pod, screwing up the assimilation process, and that's why the dog got the human face. Oh, yeah. And that's another okay. one of the absolutely unforgettable horrifying images of this movie yeah that that's fucking terrifying <laughs> i think what they did was they put a prosthetic face mask onto an actual dog which uh oh yeah that's that that was effective um so yeah 
they separate from Nancy amid the chaos and quickly board a truck en route to Pier 70, where the aliens are cultivating more pods and intending to ship them to other widely populated cities. So while Matthew yes. scouts the area in an attempt to flee aboard a vacant ship, Elizabeth falls asleep and is duplicated. And Matthew uh, wakes up and she see he sees her, you know, like naked in like this wheat field kind of thing. And she's like coming towards him and he has to run away. So Matthew returns and is horrified as her body disintegrates in his arms. Jesus Christ. This movie is very fucking dark. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's also kind of funny. It has definite parts of humor, I think. Yeah, there's a good tonal balance, I would say. Yeah, but it, it never loses that horrifying element. It's kind of interesting because Body Snatchers is one of those franchises that's, you know, it started out as a 50s B-movie, and even then it was pitch black serious. And every iteration yeah. has attempted to keep that seriousness. There's never been a return of the fly to invasion of the body snatchers at least as far as i know well i mean that's what the parodies are for right um, <laughs> yeah um so pursued by the duplicate elizabeth he breaks into the dock's warehouse and burns down the building which is like this giant greenhouse factory where they're making all the pods uh and he flees and hides under a bridge exhausted as the aliens try to find him and then there's this really great moment where uh we wake up the next morning and we don't know if it, he succeeded or not like, he's just out yeah. and about the world at the health department, and you start to realize that they've been assimilated, but you start to think he's blending in on purpose, you know? Yeah, because that's, that's the, that's what you're led to believe, the idea is I mean, he, he's the, he picked up. He's the like, male lead of a, of a Body Snatchers film. The male lead survived the first one. You're expecting it to happen. Yeah, and way. he learned, and we, and we heard about that technique from, from Nancy, so, like... Exactly. maybe he's maybe he's in hiding and then so but then bam expectation subverted yeah because As he heads towards city hall he encounters nancy who who approaches him and attempts to hush conversation and then he points at her <clears throat> points at her and emits this ear splitting shriek yeah which is just one of the most iconic endings of any so horror film i had ever. i had two thoughts when when i watched this scene the first thought was, oh, my God, holy shit, they actually got him. What a twist. That scream is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And the second thought was, I know. so that's where that gif is from. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, what did you think of Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978? This movie's fantastic. Like, the cast is great. It's got great tension building and suspense and the practical effects are, you know, they look incredible. And the whole, you know, store, the way they do the pod people and the duplication, like it really works in terms of how the story builds and builds and builds. And that the ending's great. It's a an absolute masterclass of science fiction and suspense. I love it. It's great. Yeah, this movie is usually brought up with David Cronenberg's The Fly and the talk of best remakes ever made. Yeah. And I can definitely see that. I think it's about on par with the original. I go back and forth on which one I like more. I, I need love to them watch both the so I need to watch I would need to watch the original in full. Well, it is on the happen. roulette wheel, so we may get to so it. So we may get to it. And I'd also like to point out uh the music is also great. Oh yeah, I, music... I think I said in the beginning um the score is fantastic. <laughs> the music by Denny Zietlin is this really kind of ambient electronic soundtrack that is very bizarre and otherworldly and very creepy and I, I just really love it um so much 
I can't say enough good things about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's, yeah, it's 1978. It's such a good movie, and you should all watch it. Yeah, you should and... watch it. I mean, it, it might yes. be hard to watch it because, like, I mean, it is technically free on YouTube, but I ran into uh, some weird video glitches with that. Like, there were multiple points where the video is like, well, I'm sorry, we ran into an issue licensing this video. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? And eventually, yeah. it eventually got to the point where I attempted to revisit our old friend Pluto TV, a.k.a. the worst streaming service. And I and I literally. Hey, I watched it on Pluto TV, and I had a fine time. Okay, well, where? Oh, oh, so you were able to find it, because yeah, I yeah, you use the app Just Watch, Chris. I scrolled. Just no, Watch no, no, will no, tell no, no, you no. what streaming service I know. Uh, it told on. me that it was on Pluto TV, okay. so I went on Pluto okay. TV and I scrolled through the entire sci-fi section, and it wasn't there. And at Chris, that... that's why you gotta go on Letterbox. And use the just watch function. No, I that does, that'll tell not you the point. I know. It'll I link you to where to watch, watch it. <laughs> I use the just watch. It doesn't matter if I know it's on Pluto TV. If Pluto TV doesn't have a fucking search function, so I can't find the fucking movie. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so ranting aside, this <laughs> ranting aside, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is fantastic. Yes. Um, yes. And now, now, the second movie we're going to be talking about today is Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And now, for something completely different. <laughs> now, before you said that this these two movies had a thematic link, and now you're saying that they're different. Well, then, yeah, because I hadn't seen either, because I, I guess I sort of thought, oh, they're sort of like B-movie-esque kind of things. Because, you know, it, the original mm -hmm. Invasion was a B-movie, and this is kind of a parody of B-movies. So I sort of thought, oh, there's sort of a link there. And then after watching Invasion and then watching this, like, actually, no. <laughs> they are on two complete opposite sides of the B-movie spectrum from seriousness to camp. Yeah. Completely polar opposites. But in a way, I think that they are kind of related in, in that they're the both monster movies. Two sides movies. of the same coin, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Chris, what did you think of John DeBello's classic Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. That, I, I I thought it was fun. I think this is a really fun movie. It, I mean, yeah, it's camp. A lot of it is dumb. I wouldn't say it's... It's very dumb. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's the greatest work of comedic satire ever, but it is really fucking funny <laughs> in a lot of so, spots. <laughs> it was originally made as a short film, and then some people were like, well... What if you turn that into a real film? And he's like, I could do that. So he went out and made it. And this is probably the first bad on purpose ironic film, I think. But it also, like, it, it works on that. Yeah. Yeah, because it is, the comedy, like, actually works. For starters, the opening credits, they are, it's filled to the brim with gags. Like, literally, the opening text is talking about, like, the birds and then yeah. and there was, like, a bird attack after the movie came out. And they were like, no one is laughing now uh, before they got <laughs> to the talking tomato. <laughs> and then, of course... Yeah, um, <laughs> the comedy of this feels very similar to, like, Airplane, actually. Yeah, it feels very Airplane, Spaceballs, that kind of, like, Mel Brooks type thing. Not quite as good, but... Um, it well, does... airplane isn't Mel Brooks. Airplane. Well, is, airplane uh, is um, uh, Zimmer. Whatever. The, his yeah, name is. Zuck, Zucker Brothers, or am I thinking of a different thing? Yeah, Zucker. Zucker. Z yeah. Zucker Brothers. Yeah, but the the Zucker, the Mel Brooks, 
that particular genre of comedy. Not quite as good. And this is, but um, and yeah. the opening credits are followed by a pre-credit sequence of a tomato rising out of a woman's garbage disposal. And her puzzlement turns to terror as the tomato draws her into a corner. Yeah, I, and following the credits, the police investigate her although death. I do want to talk, I do want to briefly talk about because there's so many things in here of, of, in just the credits that I love. Because first of all, it's a theme song, which slaps. Attack uh, of the Attack of the Tomatoes. tomatoes. Attack of the Kid of Tomato. There's so many good jokes buried in here, like uh, the Royal Shakespearean Tomatoes, like the, <laughs> or like how it, based on the book, the Tomatoes of Wrath. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and basically any tomato-related gag you could imagine is in this movie. Yeah, like you think of this concept, you think, oh, what what jokes could we do about this? It's in the movie, it's, and then some. It's it's has a lot of it's very good at like quick paced joke after joke after joke type of yeah. humor um and, and i i enjoy that very much <laughs> one officer discovers a red substance on yeah. the refrigerator to which not he discovers blood. it's not blood but, but tomato, tomato juice, juice. <laughs> and, so I, and, and i love how like right after this a giant tomato starts like tearing its way through the city and there's this like couple <laughs> that is just completely nonchalant about it just like oh there's a giant <laughs> tomato there <laughs> a series of attacks take place with tomatoes including a man dying by drinking tomato juice from a killer tomato yeah the, the boy... kamikaze tomato um <laughs> yes a boy heard being gobbled up by a killer tomato in front of his uh grandparents yes oh that's billy what's billy doing oh he's getting eaten by a tomato, tomato. <laughs> and uh, and a sequence where uh, Tomato attacks innocent swimmers, parodying Jaws, of course. Yes. And um, yeah, just when you thought it was safe, <laughs> just when you thought it was safe to go back to the to the to the uh, sandwich bar. <laughs> <laughs> so while the president's press secretary Jim Richardson tries to convince the public that no credible threat exists, because weirdly there was some prescient and kind of contemporary political commentary. Oh yeah, in this. I pointed out. I I I I pointed out multiple times this is weirdly the way the government tries to respond to this scenario is eerily similar to how the trump administration responded to covid <laughs> yeah absolutely so the president puts together a dream team of specialists to and, stop the tomatoes oh, oh my god can we talk led about by the a man can we talk about the tiny named... room <laughs> yes yes we have to talk about the tiny room the tiny room is fantastic so yeah. they are all they basically we have this stock scene where a bunch of government officials yeah have a bunch to of you know government officials and army guys oh i also love the bit where yeah. one of the medals that the army guy has is from the armed forces day picnic that's fun <laughs> <laughs> and they subvert this uh obvious scene by yeah. putting it in by putting everyone in an room. extremely tiny room so they all have to like cramp the, cram their way through the door and they're all and they have to crawl over the, the table <laughs> and they crawl yeah. on the table <laughs> and they're all like shoulder to shoulder with each other it's yes great. it's so good and then we have and... the other really good joke in the scene which is one of the one of the people they've hired is this japanese scientist whose voice is purposefully dubbed badly <laughs> yes and he uh constantly gets things uh wrong with speaking english and he he uses uh, a gay slur to instead of oh yeah fruits. that's 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 a little uh, that, it, this movie has some dated comedy you feel like one one of the guys that comes in that's part of the specialist dream team is a black guy who's a master of disguise with a white nose on oh yeah that's right <laughs> 
my um, god. Yeah. So uh, there's Adolf Hitler, uh, a scuba driver named Greg Colburn, an Olympic sweater, swimmer, Greta Attenbaum, and a parachute-toting soldier, Wilbur Finletter. Now, Man, these are the most this is the most useless Avengers team ever. Yes. Now, Smith is sent out to infiltrate the tomatoes at a campfire. He's the black one, so he dresses as a giant tomato, yes. uh, blowing his cover while eating a hot dog and asking if anyone could pass the ketchup, which is, of course, in the tomato community, a huge faux pas. Yeah, that's obviously uh, Colburn. <laughs> Colburn and Greta are sent to sectors while Finletter stays with Mason. Mason, of course, being Mason Dixon. Get it? Mason, I um, get it. Meanwhile, the president sends Richardson to the fictitious ad agency Mind Makers, where there is a wonderful uh, oh Willy my... Wonka-esque musical number oh. about the Mind Maker, who's basically the press PR operative to end all PR operatives. <laughs> wait, is it? Are, he, wait, are we jumping ahead there? Or um... uh, it might be a little bit, but I'd just like to talk about this first. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, yeah, we're jumping job... a little bit because there's the. Oh, we forgot to we forgot about puberty love. Um. Well, yes, on the radio, they introduced the song Puberty Love, Puberty Love, which is a ongoing joke and ends up being weirdly the Chekhov's gun of the story. Chekhov's Puberty Love. Um, oh, yes. we'd also point out he's not actually Hitler. He's only disguised mm -hmm. as Hitler. Uh, right. He's only disguised yeah. as Hitler. Yeah. So, so, yeah, but then the Mind Maker thing happens. And I, as we mentioned before, this whole thing has a lot of eerie similarities to the Trump administration's handling of the pandemic. Um, to or Earlier on, there's the press conference where they completely try to downplay the threat exists at all. Um, <laughs> there's the... Uh, I also wrote that the, the guy who's president in this movie is still a better president than Trump, which is sad, <laughs> but true. Um, yes. And then um, we have favorite... them... I'm sorry, go on. Yeah. I said, my favorite line from his, his big spiel is nuclear plants or tomato plants. Nuclear <laughs> plants or tomato. So, and Clearly the, one and, is better than the other. Yeah. And then this goes into them recruiting just into them recruiting like really shady corporate people or bidding like how Trump allied with the MyPillow guy and shit. Like yeah. <laughs> and Steve Bannon and shit like that. And Steve Bannon, yeah. I'll... Roger Stone. Roger Stone. <laughs> Eerie similarities all all around. Yeah. Do these uh, guys have a time machine? <laughs> I don't know. So the executive Ted Swan spends huge amounts of money to develop virtually worthless ploys, including a bumper sticker STP. Her stop tomato program on it yeah and a satirical and the, reference the whole to both mind the... maker song is a banger um yes yeah. and they also reference a 70s uh political ad whip inflation now uh campaign with this widely ridiculed win slogan and stp motor oil decals it's like a bunch of 70s political humor that you know yeah. you wouldn't pick up on today topical um, references yeah. topical at the time and... yeah decals and bumper stickers which were commonplace in the 1970s and a human is revealed to be also plotting to stop dixon when a masked assassin attempts to shoot him but misses uh this is me going off the plot synopsis i'd like to point out because when you watch this movie it more comes off like a series of gags with very little yeah because there's plot. like there's like the blind policeman directing traffic 
Um, right. There's the bit where like we're that we're not going to go out camp. We're not camping. We're going to stay in this hotel. And the guy's like, "Well, what am I supposed to do with these marshmallows?" <laughs> <laughs> that part's good. Twenty one great um, deadbeats. Um, <laughs> we're we're trying our best to put this into some semblance of a plot. So yeah. a Senate subcommittee meeting is held where one secret pamphlet is leaked to a newspaper editor who sends Lois Fairchild on the story, who, of course, is Lois Lane. Yeah, basically. I was going to say, like, I think at one point they t they team him up with, they team her up um, with 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 Clark, Clark whoever. It's like Lois and Clark. Well, lo I... when Lois is first introduced, Clark comes by and walks by and she's like, oh, hi, Clark. And then Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah. You hear the well, sound of him, like, flying up to the air and everybody's pointing and she's just too busy with her job to look up. <laughs> Like yeah, everybody like, else's. It's it's it, it, what a weird coincidence that we're talking about this uh, the day after Superman and Lois premiered. Yes. Yeah. So when she tails sort of topical, she mistakes, <laughs> she mistakes her for a spy and trashes a hotel room attempting to kill her. He then chases the assassin as the masked man fails again to kill Dixon but loses him. Now Greta is killed and further regression has led leaders to bring in tanks and soldiers to the West Coast in a battle. That leaves the American forces in shambles. They cannot defeat the tomato menace. <laughs> uh, now, Dixon, walking among the rebels, sees a trail of tomato juice and decides to investigate. He ends up being chased by a killer tomato to an apartment where an oblivious child is listening to the radio, Puberty Love. Puberty Love. <laughs> oh, oh, I'd also like to point out that the Senate subcommittee they hire uh, refuses to do anything meaningful, just like the real Senate. <laughs> yes. So the tomato There's Dixon also Jesus walking... Christ for Technotron. That's fun. Yes. The steroid <laughs> cereal. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There's a scene where he, he says, I made the ultimate commercial. And then it's literally just Jesus saying that he supports an ad. Yes. <laughs> Which is funny. Um, <laughs> he chases the assassin in a slow car chase. And since been copied by other comedies. Now, Dixon is eventually knocked out by his own car and awakening... Dixon finds himself captured by Richardson. Now, Richardson reveals that he is actually the villain, and dun, he's dun, been dun. on the tomato's side this entire time. And though he did not create the killer tomatoes, he had discovered how to control them and oh, oh, plans crap. to I do so. I forgot. I, I forgot. There was something I wanted to bring up. I want to bring yes. up how this movie, uh, how the Avengers stole from this movie. Um, because there is a plot point that the government is planning to bomb New York City in order to stop the tomatoes, despite the fact that there are still civilians within the city, which is literally a plot point from the first Avengers movie. Yes. And the Richardson... Avengers stole from Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> yes, and Richardson, though he did not create the Killer Tomatoes, he has discovered how to control them and plans to do so once civilization has collapsed. And he gives his whole villain speech and says, Ha ha, how melodramatic. I will give my villain speech. <laughs> and then he is about to reveal his secret of control to Dixon when Finletter charges in and runs him through with his sword. Which is funny because that's subverting the fact that we don't actually get to know how, <laughs> what his actual answer is as to how to control them. So yeah. Dixon, picking up some strewn records, realizes that he has seen the tomatoes retreat at the sound of the song Puberty, Puberty Love, Love before but had not put two and two together until now. So he orders yeah. Finn Letter to gather all the remaining people and Yeah, because they need to get everybody the into the stadium. 
And then there's also an ad ticker at, at, at this point at, that's going on on the screen. I think the story with this was that they needed to fund the production, so they said there would be ads in the film, so they literally just ran an ad ticker. <laughs> okay. I think that's what happened. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure. That's fine. <laughs> so they get them all into the stadium, and Finlay remarks that only crazy people are left in the nearly deserted city, resulting in a motley assortment of people in costumes facing the attacking tomatoes at the stadium. Now, the tomatoes are concerned, are, are cornered. The tomatoes are cornered in a stadium, and Puberty Love starts playing all over the loudspeaker. And the puberty, tomatoes are like, no! Puberty Love! And they I start draw... to shrink to their normal size, Aww. allowing various people at the stadium to squash them by stomping on them repeatedly. I also... I also like how it doesn't even extend to just the sound because there's a point where one of them, I think it's Dixon or whoever, is like cornered by one of the tomatoes and is just holding up the sheet music. (laughs) (laughs) And it it actually works. It it works. (laughs) And Fairchild, meanwhile, is cornered by a giant tomato wearing earmuffs. And that cannot hear the music. And he saves him, of course, by showing the sheet music. Puberty love. But professes her... And then uh, what happens is Dixon professes his love to Lois in song. Yeah, because it turns the out they ends. are they are long lost lovers. Um, and also they both sing in this operatic yeah. voice that they cannot possibly Lois's have. Lois' soprano is, is on point. Like, <laughs> so the film ends with the carrots that rise from the soil and say, "All, All right, right, they're you guys, gone. They're yeah, they're the evil now. carrot job. Okay, so I know there are sequels. Do mm-hmm. any of the sequels pay off the evil carrot storyline? I do not know because I have not seen Well, them. they better, because I want to see <laughs> the evil carrots. <laughs> so, yeah, that was Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I think it's really good. Yeah, it's um, good. Well, actually, I think it's decent uh, because it, it does kind of go on kind of long. It's and a little long for where... what it is, and some of it is a little dated. But, damn, what works really fucking works. And overall, I think it definitely uses most of its potential for the story but it doesn't really ha- the plot is kind of scattershot which you know you wouldn't expect yeah but i mean a it's a it's a comedy i mean yeah but still i think yeah it's having it's more a goofy b parody movie like yes but having more maybe a tomato theme themes yeah maybe would have been maybe would have been a good idea um yeah, although i, I don't i don't understand um, exactly what exactly themes you could get from the concept of killer tomatoes uh but i you could think of something if you try hard enough i don't know something about farming i don't know anyway i think it's funny even if a lot of it uh is either dated or kind of long-winded but overall yeah but i think what works watch it at least once and uh, it's a good movie to have on in the background with friends yeah it's definitely you know what whenever whenever we can finally uh go to people go to other people's houses again this is definitely a fun movie to throw on, I would say. Yes. Um, but yeah, this is a, yeah, it's a fun time. It's a little dated. It's a little long for what it is. Well, it's not that long. It's only like, it's less than 90 minutes. So it's not that long. Yeah. But it just felt um, like uh, the pacing is kind of slow. The pacing's a little, I, I guess I'm just used to these sort of gag to gag to gag comedy. So it worked for me. Mm-hmm. It worked a little better for me. Um, but yeah, I would say fun, really fun. It's really funny. And yeah, uh, definitely worth at least uh, one viewing. Oh. 
Now, what we do at the end of every Rocket Ship Roulette episode is we spin the wheel to find out what movie we're going to be watching next. So, Chris, shall we spin the wheel? Yes, we shall. That brings us to number 42. Number 42 is the movie Extro, a sci-fi horror cult classic, which has only recently been rediscovered and reappraised. Hmm. Extro, extro, extro. Remember, the chance that we land on something that we have to watch is at 16% right do now. I, do I choose chaos today? Hmm. I mean, on one hand, I love Extra, but on the other <laughs> hand, I'm always in favor of Chaos. Uh, you know what? I'll keep Extra, and then we'll see what the second one is. Let's keep Extra. All right. So we'll generate another one. That brings us to number 89. Number 89 is Scooby-Doo. The live-action Scooby-Doo. Oh. Do you veto? Veto. I want another option. <laughs> <laughs> but it's written by James Gunn. Yeah, but he even he yeah, but he can't save the terrible direction. I accuse my parents. Oh, man. When I accuse, accuse my, my parents, because I, I hate, hate them. them. Oh, this is actually so your hard. choices are now between Scooby Doo and I accuse my parents. Wow, this is actually hard. Shit. I'm sorry, I didn't control the wheel. Maybe it spins worse now that we're in hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Fuck it, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> All right. Scooby-Doo so, 2002, which means eventually we have to watch the sequel, and then I guess Scooby? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So now, <laughs> uh, in two weeks, we will be watching the movies Extro, Extro and Scooby-Doo Scooby 2002. <laughs> The well-known stoner comedy that never was. <laughs> yeah, but that Anyways, is... Anyways, uh, Chris, that, that is two what weeks are we from... doing next week? Next week, we are heading back on board the Infinity Train to discuss book two choo -choo. Of, the, of the fantastic animated series. I'm very excited for that. We'll have to address some... Uh, We'll have to, a lot has changed in the week since we recorded our last episode because like that show is no longer canceled. <laughs> yes. It is no longer canceled. It's getting a book four, apparently. So we're getting book as four, of the recording of this. and book two is getting a DVD release. We'll talk more in detail about that uh, mm -hmm. uh, next week when, of course, we talk about Infinity Train book two. So I hope you're all looking forward to that. In the meantime, this has been Hipster and the Nerd. We do this usually every week. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a whole bunch of other platforms. Please leave us a nice five-star review on apple Podcasts. spread the word on social media share it with all your friends hashtag hipster and the nerd help us grow the show we very much appreciate it uh i am chris Hanna. you can find me at mega nerd 98 on twitter and on letterboxd uh, brian where can they find you oh my god brian? Oh my god the demon aliens are sucking out someone's soul oh my they're god using it as dip oh anyways what? my anyways you can find me at twitter at brian brecker or you can find me on letterbox at bbreck2 and you can find me in hell which is an interdimensional plane which i am currently occupying with a television and a lot of movies uh it's actually not that bad 
to be honest. You know, hell gets a bad rap. You know, people are like, oh, I don't want to go to hell. You know, you know, people would much rather go to, you know, pure purgatory or, like, heaven. But honestly, it's like, you get free saunas. I mean, you get free tan. It's, it's not that bad, honestly. You get a little, you know, like, you know the little massage, the hot rocks they put on your back? I mean, yeah, they put them on a little too long and it's a little too hot. No, I'm just thinking but that I'm on Pinky that. in the Brain gag where Pinky goes to hell and it's like, that, exactly. that, so, that, so, that sauna with the hot rocks was to die for. That was it a was. barbecue. <laughs> it absolutely was. So, and anyways. Also, oh, anyways. Thank you, everybody, you for can... listening. We will see yes. you next time. They come from a dying world. They drift through the universe, pushed on by the solar winds. They adapt, and they survive. The function of all life is survival. Sleep, sleep, sleep. From deep space, the seed is planted. Terror grows. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's got no detail, no character. It's unformed. All of a sudden, they're growing like parasites. Is it contagious? People are being duplicated. How do you know my name? I didn't tell you my name. You can't find anything in here that looks like a body. My side's nosebleed. It looked right at me. You're looking at it as if it was human. It was not human. Now, the classic fear begins to grow. <laughs> We're being cornered. In a modern masterpiece of science fiction. The street. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. From deep space, the seed is planted. Terror grows. Across this great nation, almost everyone has been affected in one way or another by this terrible tomato onslaught. Mrs. Williams, I understand your husband is missing. Yes, Do you he think is. he's dead? Well, I, I Will you miss him? Well, Will you marry well, again? Ah! What if he's laying in a ditch somewhere, like, with both his legs broken, calling your name? You will have to find another man, you know. You're no spring chicken. Lives are, are shattered. The nation is in chaos. Death and destruction sweeps the country. Four Square Productions presents perhaps the funniest film ever made. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Attack, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. You've never seen a film like it. This is the incredible story of the world's ultimate disaster. Vicious man-eating tomatoes grow to monstrous proportions. 
faced with this unprecedented menace. The president calls upon Mason Dixon, special agent. Aided by his trusty sidekick, Dixon begins to unravel the terrifying mystery of the deadly tomatoes. Dixon is getting close, too close for someone or something. Who could it be? The girl reporter? The ad executive? The press secretary? Or does it go higher? Join Mason Dixon in a race against time as he battles to save the world from the threat of nature's perfect eating machine, the killer tomato. Ain't no time to make a fuss. We gotta get those tomatoes before they get us. The killer tomatoes. You've never seen anything like it.